This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 99 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. There's an increasing awareness of foreign influence on American institutions through social media. U.S. intelligence agencies have asserted that Russians made a concerted effort to disrupt and influence the 2016 presidential election, and there's widespread evidence that Russia continues to sow the seeds of discord with the aim of eroding Westerners' trust and confidence in their political systems and social norms. Recorded Futures' Insect Group recently published findings from their research into Chinese efforts to sway public opinion via social media and how Chinese goals and tactics are markedly different from those of the Russians. We welcome back Recorded Futures' Priscilla Moriucci to the show. She shares the Insect Group's findings and helps put it all into the broader perspective. Stay with us. Since the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there's been a lot of work done, um, research, reporting, um, and resources devoted to understanding the role that Russian disinformation or influence operations played in the outcome of that election. And as a result, there kind of exists this implicit assumption um, that other state-run influence campaigns uh, must look the same and operate in the same manner. Right? So we wanted to test that assumption because, you know, we didn't necessarily believe that all, especially the social media aspect of influence campaigns were necessarily the same, no matter which country was behind them. Um, so we tested it by studying the social media influence operations of China. It's another country that's widely documented as engaging in you know, real world influence operations against the United States going back decades. So we we sort of have two, you know, we had two fundamental research questions. One, right, how does Chinese state-run influence operations, you know, specifically their social media operations, differ from the Russian ones, you know, in what ways, and, you know, what can, can we learn from that? So um, at a high level, right, we, we examined the campaigns. What we found um, was that, for, for example, both of the country's campaigns are driven by their strategic goals. Russia's, you know, strategic goals are more disruptive, right? They want to undermine faith in the American democratic process, you know, raise support for pro-Russian policies, undermine Western alliance systems, the EU. But for China, their goals are different, right? They seek a larger role and greater influence in the current international system and to propagate what they call this so-called Chinese dream, right? This idea that... Mm. China's rise, right, the, the sort of rising tide raises all boats, right? China's rise is good for the whole world. Mm -hmm. um, and those goals drive the methodology of their social media influence campaigns. Well, let's start out by digging in some to the Russian model, because I think that's probably the one that most people are familiar with or has certainly gotten a lot of attention lately, certainly after uh, all the uh, the allegations and conclusions by um, U.S. intelligence um, organizations about Russian influence in our elections. So let's just go through some of the details. You know, what, what do they do and how effective has it been? Sure. If I could step back just one second, though, because I want to make sure to define like some of the terms so that yeah. people understand 
you know, what it is we're talking about, because it's important, especially for the China model to distinguish from, you know, influence, right, and propaganda from state administered or state sponsored media, right? So, Mm, so the terms that we're using, right, um, are either social media operations or influence operations. We're probably sticking with social media operations um, because the terms, right, we, we kind of pull from a number of terms, right? So one of the most important for the discussion we're having today is this term that French researchers came up with called information manipulation, right? Mm. It's essentially the intentional and massive dissemination of false or biased news for hostile political purposes, right? Mm. And I think there are three things to keep in mind that are very important to understanding the Chinese campaigns. One that, you know, uh, information manipulation campaigns, right, or social media operations consist of one, a coordinated campaign, two, the diffusion of false information or information that is knowingly distorted, right? And three, the political intention to cause harm, right, against the targets of your campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for this research, you know, we wanted to, to state that because it's important to keep these concepts of coordination, distortion, and harm at the forefront when we discuss influence campaigns because they're distinguishing features from kind of regular propaganda, right, or regular state-run media. Um, okay. So, yeah, so we'll get that, that out of the way so that people understand. One, you know, we're talking about coordinated campaigns in which the information is consciously distorted, right, by the initiators, right, in this case, the Chinese or Russian state, with the intent, right, to cause harm, right, against the target, which in this case is Americans. Okay. Um, so if we step back and we look through the Russian influence model, you know, as kind of a, a baseline, and we go back to, you know, 2016 U.S. presidential election, the gold standard, right, I think, or or the first attempt, right, for Russian operations. Right. Um, the methodology they used was first to use a nominally private company, so the Internet Research Agency, was right. a nominally private, right, because it was run by a man who was well-connected and had long-standing ties to President Putin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the funding around that, that, uh, organization, right, is very opaque, um, you know, and many believe it's connected, you know, to the Russian state and maybe even Russian intelligence. So hmm. first is to use this kind of like nominally private cover company. Right. Um, second was this this evolution in content. So if you look at the content uh, um, disseminated in, you know, beginning in 2015 and around the, the U.S. presidential election, much of the content was what we would have called fake news or kind of demonstrably false information, right? Mm. As we've studied um, the progression of content being distributed by Russian influence operations, we've seen that evolution change from, or that content evolve from this kind of fake news to the propagation of what we would call like hyper-partisan, but legitimate content. Mm. So in this case, these are just like sharply polarized perspectives on legitimate u.s news service news stories so from legitimate u.s news sources like fox news cnn cnnbc or cnbc um as well as sort of hyper partisan sites but ones that are well read right among uh, conservative communities like the handy website or breitbart right um and and the the shift that we're seeing is that the these the vast majority of these you know posts right are actual real news stories, right? They're just, they present just a sharply polarized perspective on those facts. Hmm. And that's a, demonst- you know, that's a 
demonstrable change, right, from, from the uh, tactic that was used in 2016. The, the third kind of goal that Russians use very effectively uh, is the use of memes. Uh, and this is hmm. quite unique to Russian operations. Um, you know, we've seen that documented in the, the Oxford University, right, report um, on Russian disinformation campaigns where they used information from the Senate, right? How the, the Russians are able to use memes and propagate the messages via memes quite effectively. Um, and lastly, that the operations are designed to kind of destabilize, erode trust, promote chaos, and, and sow discontent. And, and the tactics that Russia has utilized are, are quite unique as well. You know, they, they express a clear preference for one candidate. So we saw this obviously in 2016, where the US intelligence community assessed that the Russian disinformation campaign had a preference for Donald Trump. Uh, we saw this at Recorded Future in our research on the U.S. midterms, where Russian uh, influence accounts across social media would express a clear preference for one candidate in either congressional, senatorial, or gubernatorial races. Um, and they would target that candidate's opponents, uh, support that candidate's policies, and re reinforce those themes across all the social media platforms that they had. These uh, operations also had a real-world impact um, and a real-world, let's say, intent to suppress voter turnout uh, and even, um, you know, propagate some secessionist messages, right? Mm. That, um, you know, we as whatever party, right, Republicans or Democrats, are so different from the other party and the other Americans, you know, that we simply can't live together. Wow. Um, and that, you know, overall, right, the goals, right, these long-term goals that Russia has that are disruptive and destructive dictate the model, right? Then therefore their social media influence model, right? Utilizes disruptive and destructive techniques. Yeah. Now let me ask you, do you have any sense for what prompted the shift from disinformation to amplification? Um, so we believe that some of the just fake news, right? Was not uh, propagating as well or getting uh, the traction uh, that maybe uh, it had gotten in 2016 huh. because of the research, right? And the reporting and uh, the knowledge, right? That people had about what fake news was. So um, people had been sort of inoculated be because of the detection of that people were, they had their guard up against it perhaps. Yeah, I believe so. And there, you know, there was minimal fake news in the 2018 campaign, um, hmm. you know, so still some, right, but but very minimal. Um, and instead, it's just sort of this this propagation in this echo chamber, right, of, of the, the messages that they want to get across. Right, Those messages are already out there, you know, on real U.S. news sites. All the Russian bots had to do was, you know, supercharge them and amplify them. Hmm. Well, let's move on then to China. What's the uh, what's the difference here? What do they do to advance their particular goals? Sure. Um, so China, um, most people don't realize, but is actually we would call like the grandfather of social media influence operations. Hmm. And it's something that they've been developing and testing and um, imposing upon their own domestic population and domestic social media services for decades, right, since the late 1990s. So, you know, we sort of took that knowledge, right, and the techniques um, that China used on its own domestic population and examined those to see whether they applied to China's foreign, right, influence operations. So China uses a number of tactics. One, 
outright censorship, right, domestically. They have the ability to censor based on topic, keyword, right, URL, you know, a number of different capacities to just outright block, right, or censor topics. Mm. Um, second is, is they block sort of platforms or services like uh, Facebook, for example, Twitter, right, are outright blocked in China, or they require social media to comply with state censorship and blocking regulations, which mm -hmm. domestic social media does. Um, and last, they employ these tactics. They literally employ people, <laughs> otherwise known as, as what's called this 50 cent party, which is anywhere from numbers range from about half a million to two million people employed by the Chinese government to essentially flood uh, Chinese social media with pro-regime or distracting comments. Uh, it's called hmm. astroturfing, basically. Right. Fake grassrooting, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a technique that's used quite effectively in the domestic sphere. So in the, in, the, in the foreign sphere, right, we looked at specifically English language, Chinese state-run media posts. Um, because for China, as, as we sort of talked about with Russia, its strategic goals, right, are driven um, and established by the state and require coordination by the state, right? It's this kind of greater influence in the international system, right, propagating this Chinese dream, which includes propagating this you know, positive image of the Communist Party and the Chinese state. Uh, and kind of their role in in what economic you know kind of globalization, right? So so we took that theory, right? That that Chinese goals drive their tactics, and that state-run media, therefore, as the kind of main propaganda and influence outlets, are the the ones responsible for in influencing foreign populations. Mm. Um, and we examine state-run media. So in China, there is really no media that's not state-run. Right. Um, so we looked at the ones that were connected either through, you know, the intelligence and security services or ones that had kind of a, a demonstrated and longstanding presence in the English language sphere. Right. So there were six publications we looked at. We examined their uh, social media operations across a number of platforms. And, you know, some of these included Xinhua, People's Daily, China Global Television and and a few others. So first off, you know we we looked at these accounts and the messages that they were putting out, um, and we discovered that first all these accounts put out an overwhelmingly positive message. So we use what's called like sentiment analysis to weigh right the the sentiment right that these accounts were trying to uh, put out on on social media. All the accounts were putting out a. a sort of saccharine, right, positive, glowing, right, account mm -hmm. of, of China, right? And that supports the positive, glowing, right, image that strategically, right, China is trying to propagate throughout the world. And what kind of messages are we talking about here? Are this, is this, is this a, you know, a tourism kind of message that China is a beautiful company or a beautiful country, those sorts of things? Or what's, what's, the, uh, what's the spectrum? Yeah, so the spectrum is everything from China is a beautiful country country with kind of appealing cultural traditions and heritage mm. right all the way to the positive impact that china is having in the world right on science technology sports right oh. to to the last in which i think is maybe the most insidious of of the influence aspect is uh there um is breaking news right another thing that they were really 
we saw really heavily messaged among these Chinese uh, influence accounts were trying to establish these Chinese state-run media outlets, right, with a biased and distorted view that they're propagating as kind of a wire news service, right? That there hmm. was just China's perspective on the global news. And, you know, we really feel like that that's one of the messages that, you know, from what we saw was the most widely propagated and, and really the most damaging as well. Hmm. Now, when you say breaking news, is this, uh, you know, the same news that other organizations would be breaking, but with a, a distinctly Chinese uh, tilt to it? Yeah, exactly. Um, hmm. Especially when it comes to stories on like policies or issues that China had a particular position on. So if we look at the trade issues, right, the trade war, or that the United States is engaged in with China at the moment, or um, the Iranian nuclear deal, right, the JCPOA, the stories, right, and the message propagated by these influence accounts, you know, would have you believe that China was just that these accounts were just reporting on the news. But when you looked at the message or the content, Right. It was advocating very specifically for China's particular position, right, mm. on that. So in the trade war, right, the message was that China is the responsible player, right? China is the one, the country who's in favor of, of equal, fair global trade, and the U.S. is irresponsible, is is the sort of the negative influencer. And mm. on the China or on the the Iranian side, right, with the JCPOA. You know, the, there was a propagation of a message, sort of a questioning message of, of now that the U.S. has pulled out, right, is war inevitable, right? This is the United States' fault. There was an agreement, right? Uh, the U.S. has pulled out. And if, if there's a war, you know, it's, it's the United States' fault. And it's all sort of wrapped in this, uh, this veil of positivity. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's this overwhelmingly positive view of China, right? And China's right. policies, the Chinese state, uh, anything that China does, the message is sort of this intentionally and distorted and biased narrative, kind of portraying this utopian kind of saccharine view of the Chinese government and party. And again, and to go back, it's for the, you know, the intent, right, of, of these social media operations and, and information manipulation, right, is to cause harm, right, political harm, social harm to their targets, which was the United States and Americans. That's interesting. I mean, because my, my, my first response is, is portraying yourself in the best light. Is it accurate to perceive that as causing harm? So I don't think it's the best light. It's a biased and distorted light. Right? Uh. So there's a difference between, say, like a, a tourism board, right, in the state of California, right, putting out right. a message that says, come visit California, we're amazing, right? And Chinese state-run media uh, distributing a constant flow of messages about distorted messages, right, about China, but there are only good things about China for the purposes, right, of swaying the world's opinion, you know, about an authoritarian, right, repressive dictatorial regime. Mm -hmm. um, so again, that, that's why there's a, a thin line, right? And the thin line goes back to that intent and the coordination of the campaign, right? We're talking about thin line between kind of, like you said, putting out the best possible perspective, right? On yourself, mm -hmm. marketing yourself uh, and intentionally distorting the news, right? And the information about yourself to cause yeah. harm, right? To your target. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, come for the uh, the beautiful vistas and the uh, the cute, cuddly pictures of panda bears, and uh, you know, stay for the propaganda about our political goals. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, studies you know studies have shown, and, and academics have have documented this for you know, quite a while that in part of you know this sort of larger goal set, right? And we see this in these social media operations, right? Is to exploit American openness you know, in order to advance China's own goals on a competitive playing field, like this global playing field, that's not level, right? And that's that's what we see with these social media operations. And, and what's your sense when you contrast the two, the, the Russian efforts and the Chinese efforts, is there any um, sense for which is more successful for achieving their goals? Um, it's difficult to say. So we did one uh, sort of apples to apples comparison. We looked at audience engagement numbers on Instagram. So hmm. we use some of the numbers, again, provided by the Senate to the in the new knowledge report on Russian disinformation campaigns, um, specifically the Russian you know, Internet Research Agency uh, accounts use of social media of Instagram. And we looked at just two Chinese accounts used of Instagram, right? So this is, we compared the same sort of time frame. So over a generic kind of four month period in Russian, right, disinformation campaign with the four month period we had data on for China. So all the Russian accounts versus only two Chinese accounts. What we saw was, was pretty staggering that these two Chinese accounts accounted for roughly one sixth of the total audience engagement or the total rough, rough impact as the entire Russia IRA-associated campaign targeting the United States on Instagram. So mm. it was just two accounts that, that we profiled. And so from a, an engagement or a rough impact perspective, these two accounts, and if you extrapolate the numbers right to the six accounts and the numerous other state-run media accounts that you know, we just um, you know, were not part of this study, you could argue that Chinese and Russian campaigns are having at least the same impact, right, that support their goals. I think both the impact on both is quite difficult to quantify. One, because Russia's goals are different, right? They're more divisive and um, discordant than China's goals, right, which are more sort of positive and much longer term. I guess in some ways, with the Russians, um, there's not a whole lot of ambiguity as to what they're up to. It's sort of, uh, you know, the negativity is, is right there in your face. Um, and the Chinese method seems to be a little more, I don't know, subversive or, uh, or, or subtle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, with China, it's about changing the way that you think as an American about China and mm. about what China's trying to do in the world. And with yeah. Russia, their social media campaign appears to be designed to right, divide the American public so that Russia can take, you know, strategic advantage of the weakness, right? That yeah, t- change that. the way you think about yourself as an American, you know, the dividing us and right. uh, that sort of thing, pitting us against each other. Right. Yeah, that's really an interesting contrast. So so what are the, the take-homes for you when you, uh, you gather up the information that you all uh, brought together here? What's the bottom line? One bottom line is, uh, you know, social media operations, influence operations are not, especially state run, are not one size fit all. So each country has their own strategic goals and those goals drive the methodologies that they use. You know, we see that with the examination of China and Russia. 
also that the impacts of these campaigns are different um, and that they're hard to to measure. Lastly, sort of our big message, right, is is sort of don't be an enabler, right, as, as I call hmm. it, right. Um, there have been studies done, right. One one that is my favorite is by Rand talking about why influence campaigns and state-run propaganda are are effective. And you know, we believe that as as users of social media, right, we are the ones who are responsible for propagating content, right, and understanding what the content is that we're looking at, why it's out there, and whether or not we choose to amplify that. People are are, are poor judges, really, <laughs> of true versus false information. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily remember that some information was false, right? It, it will stick in their brain, right? This this idea that also information overload, right? It, it leads people to take shortcuts in determining whether a message is truthful or trustworthy and familiar themes and messages, right? Even if they're false, if you hear them enough, they can be appealing right? and they can drive your belief um, and your trustworthiness in certain sources. And that peripheral cues, right? Such as the appearance of objectivity, which China has seized on by using state-run media and using billing state-run media as a wire news service, Right. Even if those stories are not objective, which we have demonstrated they aren't, right, mm -hmm. in which the Chinese state has said explicitly that those messages are not objective, right, the appearance of that, right, can increase the credibility of those messages. So our last kind of appeal is like, don't enable, right, these type of campaigns, right, be more critical, accumulate as much knowledge as you can, right, as a user of social media, and be, have discretion when you choose to post and, and repropagate a message. Make sure you understand what that message is and who it's coming from and that there could be impacts beyond just yourself. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Priscilla Moriucci for joining us. The report is titled Beyond Hybrid War, How China Exploits Social Media to Sway American Opinion. You can find it on the Recorded Future website. It's in the blog section. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>